some hugely challenging games for Memphis. We don't have to go over it again how important it is for Memphis to make a statement in the non-conference portion of their schedule. The uh, That SEC-ACC challenge, this is again the first year of doing that. Um, tonight, you, along with that Duke-Arkansas game, you get Tennessee-North Carolina tonight, which is an outstanding matchup. You get two teams that are on the Tigers' schedule in Texas A&M and Virginia playing each other tonight as well. Um, so obviously one of them will get a win, but one of them will get a loss as well. But uh, this SEC-ACC challenge, I mean, what Kentucky did to Miami last night, wow. That was an eye-opener. <laughs> that's that's an eye-opener. That was That's an impressive performance by John Calipari's crew last night to just absolutely dismantle Miami. I really like this Kentucky team. I watched a lot of that game. They looked fabulous in beating Miami 95-73. to Now, Miami, look, they're not the same team as last year. Wong is gone. He was a key player for them. But that's a young, they're always a young Kentucky team, right? It's like every year we talk about the youth with Wagner, who looks terrific. But Reeves, really, really good. I, I like this Kentucky team. So I, I can't I can't wait till we get deeper into the college basketball season. My mind's still on football, but it is going to be, I think, a heck of a race. Connecticut's still, in my mind, the team to beat the defending champions with just about everybody back, um, except Sonogo. But I think um, they're going to be really, really good. They are already really, really good. But I think they could be a team that uh, is destined for another deep run. Of course, last year winning it all. So more on the Tigers and Ole Miss as the week progresses. And, of course, we'll have Andy Borman on at 8.05. Tigers assistant coach will get his thoughts. I'm sure he watched the game last night between Ole Miss and NC State. The Grizzlies back in action tonight. They'll take on the Utah Jazz. The Grizzlies are a five-and-a-half-point favorite. So it's interesting. As I looked at this game, this is even before I heard that Laurie Markkinen was not playing. I thought to myself, even though they had lost to them twice already this year, I go, this is one I think the Grizzlies are going to get. I just got this feeling. Now, there's no guarantees, not with a team that's 3-13. and 13, But Vegas throwing out a five-and-a-half-point line? Tells me that, yeah, they, they they think they're winning this game, too. Then you throw in, not only Markinen's out, I believe Kessler's still out, correct? Uh, I believe so, yeah. And Clarkson and Olenek are questionable. If you don't have Olenek, Markinen, and Kessler, who do you have on the front line? So, as bad as the Grizzlies have been, I think tonight, great opportunity. Like I said, they're 0-2 this year against the Jazz. This will be the third and final time they play them. They lost to the Jazz in Salt Lake City, 133-109, and then lost in Memphis, 127-121. Memphis only 37-67 and all-time versus the Utah Jazz. So uh, tonight, I, I think there's an opportunity. I really do. And then Memphis also found out yesterday that they can add Detroit and Minnesota to their schedule as far as the games added because of the in-season tournament. They'll play Wednesday in Detroit against a dysfunctional Pistons team, and then next Friday they'll host Minnesota. So, again, nothing's guaranteed with the Grizzlies in 23-24, but you would like their chances, I would think, against Detroit. And I like their chances tonight. So so maybe that's a couple of more. That doesn't really do much. If they win both those games, it gets them the five. But who knows? Kessler is back, by the way. He is back. Okay, he, he played in the last uh, last couple of games. So they got a big. I was just wondering who was going to be be there as far as you know trying to defend the paint. 
and Kessler's a good one to have. It's nice for the Grizzlies to pick up Detroit on the schedule. Um, the worst record in the NBA, Detroit. Now, um, it would have been nice to get them at home um, to maybe secure a home win. Hopefully, they'll be able to secure that first home win tonight. But, um, you know, Minnesota, we just saw what Minnesota did <laughs> to the Grizzlies here. So, getting them as the home team. It's weird, too. Like, And I don't know all the... What they're doing, how they're figuring it out. But Minnesota... <laughs> ends up getting the Grizzlies and San Antonio as their two extra games after they just missed out on getting to the tournament um, in Vegas. They get they get to pick up the Grizzlies and San Antonio. Nice consolation prize. Two of the worst records in the NBA as their two additional games. I thought it was supposed to be more that like if you finish last in your group, you would get last place teams in the other groups. But I don't know. I mean, obviously there are certain things to figure out based on who you already play. They don't want to add fifth games against conference or division opponents, stuff like that. But um, not exactly a great draw to get Minnesota out of that, but at least the, the Grizzlies do get Detroit, who is uh, who only has two wins, the fewest in the NBA, and um, hopefully can at least get a win in that one. Yeah, and as you mentioned, Grizzlies still after their first home win of the year, so tonight they take an 0-8 home record into play against Utah. Also, yesterday... Um, Heard from Taylor Jenkins, talked about John Moran. He said his practice reps have increased. Uh, He said he's frustrated like all of us. So before too long, the return of John Moran. It can't get worse than where it is right now. It can only get better. And as far as the in-season tournament is concerned, I know last night there was a lot of interesting games. The quarterfinals are now set. But there were more complaints from the players about how awkward it was at the end of games, having to, in certain situations, run up the score, at least try to run up the score. Teams that coaches had to keep their stars in the game, their starters in the game for much longer minutes than usual to try to get into the quarterfinals. It's just, uh, it's weird. They're going to have to absolutely tweak this system, in my opinion. Uh, I, I don't like it the way it is, but who am I? I'm, I'm one person with one opinion. I don't. I'm not into it. Maybe, like you said, when they go out to Vegas, it'll be a different story. But right now, it really isn't doing much for me. And I know the players are having, at least some of them, are having issues with having to run up scores. Yeah, I don't. I, I certainly, I think they will look at trying to figure out some other way. I don't know how you can do tiebreakers when you're talking about four games. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to compare teams from different groups for those wild card spots. I don't know what you do, how you do it, um, but certainly, um, as a lot of the players said, it just leads to uncomfortable situations. You know, Jason Tatum ends up playing the last like nine minutes of the game last night for Boston when they're up by twenty something that entire time. You know. Uh, Joe Mazzola actually had to go explain to Billy Donovan what what they were why they were doing this and everything else. But there is certainly again these these games like there it created a level of excitement in game last night that you wouldn't normally have. Like the the Sacramento Golden State game, which meant you know who was going to advance there. Certainly, and now granted there's going to be some excitement there because that's a good matchup and two teams that don't like each other very much. But um, do you think the you fans know, knew what was going on? As far as point differential and all that, you think they understood that? Yeah, I think they know that. Like a lot of this, like this, this is 
they may not know the exact number, but no, like this is to advance, like have, give us a chance to advance and things like that. Like Cleveland actually had coaches on the bench monitoring other scores, like to, to know exactly what they needed to do. They were another one that was a little uncomfortable. But is that a good thing? Trying to, to run up the score again. I, I, is so that I, a good thing? Creating excitement for December NBA games, yeah, I think or no, November play, NBA play, games. players in a game that basically is meaningless. Okay, they're they're all going to get five hundred thousand dollars. I understand that the winning team is, but they're playing extra minutes. We talk about uh, the wear and tear of bodies of the NBA. The NBA is is the worst as far as that's concerned with load management, players taking days off, you know, disguising it as some injury. I guess for the fans, it's good. I was going to say, people people want these guys to play. Well, now they're playing. But in the long run, is it good for the organization? Is it good for those stars? Anyway, uh, it is what it is. I did want to mention this. We were talking about Kentucky. And and you can say the players aren't motivated by the money. I don't... If you look at all the teams that advance, like you... Indiana 4-0 in the in-season tournament games, below 500 beyond that. Lakers 4-0 in the tournament mm-hmm. games, below 500 beyond no, that. You got LeBron. There's nobody a bigger motivator than LeBron James in the history of the NBA and maybe in sport. I mean, they're 6-8 in their non-tournament games. I understand. Indiana's 5-7 and in their non-tournament games. So, unless it's just a pure coincidence, it seems like these players are a little bit motivated by the tournament. Well, okay, I guess you have to ask each individual one. Um, I did want to mention this. I forgot to mention when we talked about Kentucky's win last night. DJ Wagner did leave the game with an ankle injury. Hopefully it is uh, not too serious. And Aaron Bradshaw expected back soon. So another weapon for Kentucky. All right, last night the college football rankings came out. Georgia 1, Michigan 2, Washington 3, Florida State 4, then Oregon 5, and Ohio State 6, followed by Texas, Alabama, Mizzou, and Penn State. Ole Miss 11th, LSU 13th, Tennessee somehow, somehow still in the top 25. They're 21. Tulane 22, Liberty 24. Okay, no surprises really as far as the top Four are concerned. Obviously, you have the big game with Washington and Oregon coming up in the Pac-12 championship. The bigger story was what they said. And this goes back to the conversation we had with Connor O'Gara on Tuesday. Yesterday. College football playoff executive director Bill Hancock, friend of the show, who's in his final year, he's retiring, said it's the committee's job to rank the four best teams. He did not say the four best deserving teams and that caused a wildfire because we all agreed when Connor was on it's the four most deserving teams of the year. You look at the resume, you look at every game, you look at every game equally, you take it all into consideration, you put it in a pot, you stir it up, you come up with the four teams. He said the four best teams and so on ESPN they got into that debate again and I said, and I tweeted out If you seriously are taking the four best teams, which is so subjective anyway, but if you are taking the four best teams, don't tell me that if Georgia loses a squeaker to Alabama, that Georgia isn't one of the four best teams. But there's no way they're going to get in if Florida State wins, if Michigan wins, and the winner of the Pac-12. So I don't know what Bill's saying. I don't know if that's the way they really feel. Or they think maybe when they go through all the numbers and the resumes that they are coming up with the four best teams. But really, if you look at the four best teams, that's more looking at it from a subjective point of view with your eyes and kind of coming up with those um, those hypothetical matchups who would win games. So 
again, the, the verbiage is not correct, in my opinion. Well, I, I just I think it's all semantics. I mean, you say the they say the four best teams, which is what they want to get in terms of. But how do you determine the four best teams? Well, you determine that by what they do on the field and what their resume is. So you end up getting the the four most deserving teams. That's you prove yourself by being the best team by doing it on the field and creating the best resume. So it's deserving best, however you want to look at it. In the end, it's going to be the same thing. See, I agree. I agree with you a hundred percent. We said this yesterday. But is it? Again, if you are looking at best, best teams, again, the scenario I just mentioned, Georgia loses on a last-second field goal to Alabama 34-31. Is anybody walking out of this thing? They might get in. Uh, they, they very well could be the number four team. Okay, maybe. And then I would say, all right, I guess you really are looking at the four best teams. I know it's subjective, and I know it's an, you know, an opinion of everybody. But I think the consensus would be that Georgia is still one of the top four teams, right? Most people would think that Georgia, even with a close loss to Alabama, now if they get shellacked by Alabama, then that's over. But if they lose a tight one, so now you have the Alabama-Texas scenario, but Georgia, sorry, they would be, in the eyes of most people, one of the top four teams. I don't know if they would get in. If they got in, then they are absolutely looking at scenarios, hypothetical matchups, team versus team. And so I'll be curious to see if something like that happens. Now, I don't think Georgia's losing, but it would be interesting to see if that does happen. All right, and then one other final college football note, and we will kind of get into a little bit of the Ryan Silverfield. I understand that he's on the Indiana list. There was a list out there of possible head coaching candidates for Indiana, and Ryan's name was on that list. So we'll talk about that a little bit later on along with some portal news, more news involving the University of Memphis. There'll be portal news Every day for just about every school in the nation. But the really good story that opened a lot of eyes and put a smile on a lot of people's faces, Bobby Petrino returning to Fayetteville. OC for Sam Pittman. Are you kidding me? The full circle. Yeah, I never uh, never thought we would see Bobby Petrino back in Arkansas. Never. That is a um, that one. That one is surprising. I, I didn't. I didn't think they would be able. He would be able to overcome what happened in his exit there um, and end up back at Arkansas. That's a uh, that that's an interesting move. I guess let bygones be bygones. 2010 is the head coach of the Hogs. Won ten games. 2011 won ten games, and then the rest is. History, unceremoniously let go, uh, fired after the motorcycle scandal. He was the offensive coordinator at Texas A&M, and now Bobby Petrino. And it really set, doesn't it set up for next year, Arkansas loses a bunch of games but scores a bunch of points in those games that Sam Pittman gets let go and they elevate Bobby Petrino? Oh, there was nothing wrong with the offense. They're scoring 38 a game, but they're losing 45-38. I mean, it almost in my mind at least, sets up that scenario that Bobby Petrino one day will be the head coach again of the Arkansas Razorbacks. But for now, the offensive coordinator. I wonder how Hogs fans feel right now if um, 
you have a thought or two about that, text in and let us know at 901-360-8255. For all you Hogs fans out there, Bobby Petrino back in Fayetteville. All right, we'll take our first time out. When we come back, we're going to talk a little Memphis Tigers baseball with skipper Matt Reiser. This is Sports 56 Mornings with Greg and Eli on Real Sports Talk, Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Broadcasting from the Family Leisure Studio, we are Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Now, back to Sports 56 Mornings on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. This hour is brought to you by East Memphis Ace Hardware at the corner of White Station and Quince. Here once again are Greg Gaston and Eli Savoy. Welcome back, everyone. 727 The Time. Greg Gaston, Eli Savoy, Zach Boyd with you from the Family Leisure Studios. Football winding down, but some big games on the horizon. Basketball heating up. And before too long, baseball just around the corner. In fact, February is when it begins for the college teams around the nation. Of course, spring training down in Florida and Arizona for the big leaguers. But baseball is right around the corner. And we are very pleased to be joined once again by the first-year head coach of the University of Memphis baseball team, and that is Matt Reiser. You can follow Matt on Twitter at MattReiser17. He joins us now on Sports 56 Mornings. Hey, Matt, how are you? Good morning. Fantastic, my man. We're rocking and rolling. Just finished up a little T3 exercise, getting the guys ready for springtime. Yeah, I think folks don't realize that uh, during the winter months, of course, you have fall ball, but during the winter months, you're you're out there doing your thing, getting ready for the season. It's not like you, you take off a couple of months and then open up <laughs> games in, in February. You're, you're working hard behind the scenes, aren't you? Uh, and that's the truth, man. 24-7. You know, it's funny. People always talk about that last game of the year. Like, hey, man, you get a little time, a little break. And no, nah, right back in the recruiting win. It's tonight. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's a nonstop 24-7 job. But, man, we we love it. And uh, like you said, man, the guys are getting after it. And, you know, it's an important part for us. You know, we, we got through fall and got the system kind of put in. And, you know, we got to evaluate some guys and see the team you know, kind of come together where the pieces are going to lay. And, uh, but, you know, for the next six weeks, I mean, there's a lot to be done. And a lot of this will be on their own. So we're kind of finishing up our last week here. And then they'll have finals next week. And then the important part of the offseason comes into play. You know, if they show back up in the middle of January, not ready to go, you know, then you're playing catch up the rest of the season. So uh, we're going to put the rest with, with the, the T3 uh, exercise we've been doing all week. And we've got one last event this afternoon. And, uh, and then, yeah, get ready for springtime, baby. Get it back warmed up. It, it cooled off pretty good this week. <laughs> you you just kind of hit on a little bit. But how important is that first fall for you as a new coach and, and kind of what you're able to get accomplished during the fall? Yeah, you know, I mean, there's a few things there. You know, you've got one. We've got returners. I'm the third head coach in three years, right? Mm-hmm. So there's uh, you always want to try to garner the trust of the team and obviously the leadership of the team. Those guys are veterans return and believe in this program and bleed the blue. Uh, so, you know, you've got that, that, that's got a little extra element to it. You got new guys coming in, you get transfer portal guys, right? The grad transfer, you know, we, we got busy this summer trying to put a whole roster together. Uh, you know, Carrick had to do some of the same stuff last year. You know, he had the one and done also would maybe finish off the class before he left. So, there was a lot of work we had to do this summer and a lot of different personalities and kind of niches we had to find and, and, and fill those voids. So I thought we did a really good job of that. I thought Ford Pemberton and, and Corey Barton are two assistants did a fantastic job 
uh, getting out, finding those guys, but blending those personalities in that first fall mm-hmm. uh, is, is the tough part, right? You know, hey, man, I know you were where you were and whatever system you were, but we've got a lot of older guys that have kind of been, you know, so-called stuck in their ways is the way some guys look at it. Uh, I think they've done a fantastic job of being extremely receptive of what we're selling, right? Hey, man, here's what we need to do. Here's how we need to buy into this. Uh, if you want a house success, if you want a dog pile at the end of the year, these are things we've got to do. Let's consume ourselves the process, not just the result. You fired me up at your introductory press conference, and I think you're already firing up people here when you uh, ever make an appearance on radio or TV like you have. But what was the selling point to players, whether they be players that you were making sure to retain for this year's team or players you were bringing in? How did you sell them on Memphis baseball? Well, you know, the, the the idea of this is that, you know, I've got a coaching career, right? I'll do this. I'll be like Wayne Graham. I'll be 85 years old. You'll be kicking me off the mouth and you know, go ahead and, and retire. Uh, you know, we'll have that same type of energy and fire. But these guys, they get one career, right? Uh, and I think that was the main message coming in and letting all these guys know. is like, hey, this isn't a four- or five-year plan. This is a now plan. Uh, I'm not very patient with losing. I want to come in. I want to do it. I want to do it now. And not just for our program and get our program and go in the right direction where it was, you know, 30 years ago. Uh, but get it going, you know, for these guys that have one year left. I mean, you know, you think about the Baskin and uh, the Dubos and, and the Durhams and the Lions and all those guys that are seniors for us this year. For me to come in and go, hey, man, look, it's going to be this deal. We've got some transition. We'll be okay. You know, whatever. Just enjoy your last year. I want those guys to feel that, that satisfaction of a championship. I want those guys to feel all that hard work paid off at the very end and enjoy a dog pile, enjoy a chance to put a ring on their finger, and just be something to be proud of to kind of start this foundation of you know, the consistency of winning championships here at Memphis. What uh, From the fall, uh, after seeing what you saw, how do you feel about where this team is, this roster is? Were there guys that stood out in the fall? Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I thought we did a great job. You know, We had to get some big pieces in the transfer portal, and we did that with some grad transfers. Um, you know, the Dante Stewart's of the world, Will Marcy, the center fielder from NC State that came in. We got Aaron uh, Smigaleski, who's from Rice, uh, you know, Levin Good from Southeastern. We got, we got a bunch of guys that transferred in. And I thought we did a really good job of, of getting an offense that can score some runs. Uh, and it really matched up well with the ballpark, right? I mean, I think we're physical. We can drive the baseball. I think we showed that in the fall in our two outings against Little Rock and against Ole Miss there at the end. Um, so I was very pleased where we got. But like anything, Greg, you know, in this, it's, it's not about the talent, right? And that's what we've been kind of going through this week where our T3 challenge is getting the mindset right and understanding that, hey, man, it's the team chemistry and camaraderie and the respect for each other. Uh, and then be able to handle adversity and fire. You know, everybody asking the same same question every year. Hey, man, how are we going to be? How are we going to be? Uh, hey, on paper, yeah, we look good, you know. But once we actually get battle tested and face a little bit of adversity, that'll be the key moment that we can see that, hey, man, are we prepared? Are we ready to overcome this moment and continue to progress through the season and, and get to be able to accomplish everything we want to accomplish, or we fold up in that moment? So far, man, again, they've done a fantastic buying in that idea. But we'll see when the fire starts, right? You announced your schedule a couple of weeks ago. Obviously, it's a daunting schedule. It always is for the University of Memphis. Uh, give us uh, your thoughts on the schedule and then also your philosophy in scheduling. Yeah, you know, some of this stuff is still, it's done so far in advance, right? So it, it, it's difficult to, to put the whole thing together, especially coming that first summer. But Al Woods uh, has done a fantastic job for us putting that thing together and keeping that thing consistent throughout the years. The challenges in the midweek, the challenges on the weekends, the challenges, you know, non-conference plays. So we're ready for American Conference. And uh, to be honest with you, the, 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 the landscape of the American Conference for baseball, I think we, we made out 
uh, in a really good fashion. I think this put us back into a, a multi-bid league where you can talk about the possibility of three, four, maybe even five teams in some good years of making a regional out of this league. And uh, something that hadn't been done in a little while, right? I think the most teams they've had have been three in the last couple of years. So you keep the you know, the, the thoroughbred in East Carolina, which was fantastic for us, but the teams that you added in UTSA, who was top 25 for 10 weeks out of the year last year, FAU, who I think has been in regional six for the last nine seasons. Charlotte was in a regional final last year. Uh, you know, also got UAB and Rice coming in as well, and Rice traditionally is, the you know, a national power. They'll, they'll get back to there. They're in Texas, right? They throw a, a rock somewhere they get like 100 miles an hour. So they'll get back to what they used to be. So I thought we really did a great job of being able to upgrade in the conference and put ourselves, again, with that non-commerce schedule. You got home and home with Ole Miss and Mississippi State, you know, going for years future. We'd like to get Arkansas back in town and then be able to go play them in Little Rock and Fayetteville as well. Just You've got such a, a great area of talent you can play that you can load the midweeks like you need to, the weekends like you need to in that conference. So, yeah, you know, there's there's the auto bid in the tournament, right? Uh, we'd love to get that uh, right out the shoot. Or on, on Monday, you're not sweating it out. But the reality of this is the last time that we were in the regional in 2007, they didn't get the auto bid. They got the at-large bid because of the talent and because of the ability they were able to play on their schedule. So, uh, we feel like we've been able to compromise, uh, you know, compose that so far and, and, and put ourselves in a really good position for springtime. If we take care of business like we need to consistently, we'll put ourselves in that postseason play. What's it mean for a baseball program when your alums are getting that call up to Major League Baseball, when the Hunter Goodmans and Jonathan Bolins get those call-ups during the season um, as University of Memphis products? What does that mean for a baseball program? Well, you know, you see over your coaching career, and obviously as a player, you know, you work progress as long as you could in your career. And, you know, it's going to end at some point in time for everybody, right? Uh, but, you know, the hard work that goes into it, and just, you know, all the guys, especially we had in Hammond and also now here at Memphis, any of those guys that obviously get that call of the big league man, all that hard work, all that time, all, that, all the people who have sacrificed so much for those individuals to get to the maximum, right, to the highest level possible to make it to the Major League Baseball uh, you just have so much gratitude for them, right? And it's so excited for them to be able to, you know, kind of cash in on that opportunity. So, uh, Al and I like to we grab it a little bit. Got to see go see Goody uh, up there in, in Colorado, and got a chance to see Bowling up in Kansas City. Uh, also, as well, we got Sam Mole up there. He's been up there the last mm-hmm. three or four years as well. So, and just the interaction of those guys, right? They truly have a ton of pride for Memphis, and that's what we've talked about. And building the staff out and bringing players in, man. I want you guys to bleed blue. I want you guys to be proud of this place for. Years come, right? 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years from now, proud that you played the University of Memphis and proud that you played for this city. Uh, and those guys have done that, man. They're around, you know, Sam's here, you know, uh, three or four times a week working out, getting the stone in. Goody's around hitting. You know, Bowling went back to Dallas and worked out with one of his buddies there, but he's in and out when he's in town. So those guys just take a lot of pride and they understand that it's not just about them. But they, they come back to give back, man. Hey, man, I know this is your dream one day to maybe play Major League Baseball. They're coming back to give those tidbits that help them, right? Those little bits of advice that might help these guys get their career to the first part, you know, point possible. Maybe it's playing professional baseball. Maybe it's finishing college. Who knows? But to maximize what they have inside of them. Matt Reiser joining us, University of Memphis baseball coach. You can follow Coach on Twitter at Matt Reiser seventeen. You had to hit the ground running. You had to put together the team, assemble the team, then start getting the team ready for the campaign. But you're also recruiting for 2024, and there's been some announcements of some of the players you've brought in. I don't believe the class is finished yet, but but how are things going on that front? <laughs> Great, you know, recruiting is never done, baby. 
Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's a 24-7, 365 deal. But the reality of it is, yes, we, we did. I thought we've got some really good pieces moving forward, uh, you know, on some things that we need to do high school-wise. We've always loved the high school kids, right, kids that come in, play for, uh, you know, Memphis. And we talked about this. This was, again, a lucrative part of us taking this job is we know the area, we know the talent. We've dug in here before and got some down in, in Louisiana, and we know what's around here, and we know that, hey, man, we're in a hotbed for SECs, but that's what we're explaining to some of these kids, the Carter McKays and the Berries and Pitts, all that are orange and high there. Is, hey, yes, you can go off and go play in the SEC, or you can come play right here at home and have that same dream that Sam Mole and, and Bolin and Hunter Goodman all did, right? This mm-hmm. league is good enough. Our non-conference schedule is good enough. You put up the numbers here, man, and as far as we're going to go in postseason play, you'll get those opportunities to continue your career, and you can do it right here at home. And there's something special about being able to do that 30 minutes, 20 minutes down the road as opposed to, you know, four, five, six hours. You know, the yeah. amount of family that can come. Mom and dad, right, they're going to do everything they can to make it when you're far off. But the grandmas and grandpas who maybe can't travel those far, that far can see more games being here, and those guys understood that. So we just thought we did a really good job there with the high school stuff. The J.C. stuff, right? We've got all these grad transfers. We've got to have some J.C. guys come in that just are older, more mature. You know, we're in a day and age right now, this transfer portal and NIL stuff. Hey, the kids are more physical because they're older and they're right. able to kind of, you know, move around. And we had COVID. This is probably the last year of COVID stuff, right? All these guys get extra years. They'll be backed up to be done with. But uh, they're more physical, right, and, and more mature at 23 years old. Uh, than what they are at 18 years old. And so you're going to see a lot more rosters that are probably average age, a lot older than what they have been the last five or six years. But there's still something to be said about the high school kid to come in and make an impact year one. So uh, I thought we did a really good job of that, getting those high school guys to blend with the JC guys. We've got 13 that are committed and signed right now. Uh, you know, we'll have a lot more guys to go because we've got 11 seniors. You know, it's a situation. We got in here, and I think we had three or four seniors by the time we got done with the transfer portal and everything else. Mm-hmm. You look up, and you got 11 seniors. So uh, you look around the field, you know, senior catcher with a junior uh, with him, you know, two spots there, two seniors at first base, the senior at second, two seniors at shortstop, a senior at third base. Wow. I mean, you got a lot of seniors around around the ballpark. Right, that guy's going to be a senior. So in all those pieces, you've got to be able to get that J.C. ranks. And again, you know, we've got a national brand with a logo, and like we've told folks, um, yeah, you know, you can go to Washington or Florida. We're going to dig here first, but you know, if we got to go to wherever we got to go in the world, we'll go find the guys. But if you've got a national logo that, hey, you say Memphis, you can get a foot inside the door, inside the home, and start selling the program, the vision, everything else. Uh, it might be more basketball, football rated right now, right? Right. Uh, we, were, we were in Kansas City this summer, and a guy goes, "Hey, man, yeah, I love Memphis. Memphis basketball is awesome." I said, "Yeah, hey, great. Memphis baseball is coming too." Buddy. <laughs> uh, so you know, it's one of the host deals where that's the identity right now. But we're going to go and share the space with football and with basketball, right? We want to get that same level. Those guys are going to be able to compete for championships and, and the possibility to play for a national championship. We want to get the program the same level. We have the ability, the talent in this area. We got to keep them here to be able to do it. Administration showing a great job, man. Of hey, we, we understand that baseball is a powerhouse area, right? This is the place we can dominate it with. Let's make the investment into it so we can get the kids in and get them developed and get them maximized, go win some championships. That's what people want to hear. They can hear the excitement in the voice of the Tigers head coach. That's Matt Reiser. We're looking forward to the spring. Actually, it starts in the winter, which is still puzzling, but uh, it is what it is. He is Matt Reiser, the Memphis Tigers baseball coach. You can follow him on Twitter at MattReiser17. Listen, happy holidays to you and your family. We'll, We'll talk after the holidays and get ready for the baseball season. Sounds great, Greg. Appreciate you having us on. Go Tigers, go, baby. Thank you, Matt. 
this year when it comes to shopping for the holidays. If it comes to jewelry, one place you need to know, that's Genesis Diamonds. You know they've got a selection that is unlike any other. You know they've got great prices. Well, for the holiday season, they're making it even easier for you as you can get up to five years zero interest financing. That's right. Genesis Diamonds for the holiday season offering up to five years zero interest financing. So you can get that $3,000 diamond pendant, pay just $50 a month. Deals like that you don't find very often, but that's exactly what they've got for the holiday season at Genesis Diamond. Everything is included. from their great natural diamonds, all lab-grown diamonds, even all the luxury pre-owned Rolex watches, everything in the store, you can get that great financing deal for the holiday season at Genesis Diamonds. So don't let rising talk, all the talk of rising prices, high interest rates, all of that get you down this holiday season. At Genesis, the prices are great, and they're taking interest rates down to zero. Genesis Diamonds, Poplar and Perkins Extended, the Poplar Commons Shopping Center. They're right in the center of it for this holiday season. Get that special someone, something special from Genesis Diamonds. Get your list in for your five favorite NFL head coaches of all time. Hit us up at 360-8255. That's 901-360-8255. Sports 56 listener line. Text in on that same number or send us your lists via Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or send it to the website, sportsmemphis.com. When we come back, Tigers football news, including some portal news. And don't forget, coming up to open up Hour 2, we're talking Tigers hoops. Andy Borman, Tigers assistant coach, will join us as the Tigers and Rebels square off this Saturday at the Pavilion in Oxford. This is Sports 56 Mornings with Greg and Eli on Real Sports Talk, Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Broadcasting from the Family Leisure Studio, we are Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Now back to Sports 56 Mornings on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. This hour is brought to you by East Memphis Ace Hardware at the corner of White Station and Quince. Here once again are Greg Gaston and Eli Savoy. We were talking earlier about Bobby Petrino returning to Arkansas as the offensive coordinator. There was some head coaching news yesterday. San Diego State is going to hire Sean Lewis as their new head coach, Brady Hoke retiring. Lewis was Deion Sanders' offensive coordinator at Colorado before he was demoted. And it's now going to be from demotion to a head coaching gig with San Diego State. Also... Syracuse is hiring Georgia defensive back coach Fran Brown. There were the rumors about Dan Mullen, and Dan Mullen shut that down real quick. Dino Babers was there for a while. I like Dino Babers. I guess he wore out his welcome. Fran Brown comes in from a winning program, to say the least. Learning under Kirby Smart, now will take over at Syracuse. In the meantime, Indiana, one of the teams that still has an opening after letting Tom Allen go, and they have a long list of possibilities. Again, this doesn't come from the school. This is from, in fact, the Daily Hoosier. But uh, other publications have also had their lists of possible candidates for the Indiana job. Included among the candidates, Ryan Silverfield from the University of Memphis, who was 30 and 19 over his five years. So that was a topic of conversation yesterday with Coach Silverfield. Look, I don't know who puts the lists together. Ryan Silverfield obviously has a lot of experience, and they have him on the list. They also have the Helton brothers, friend of the show Clay Helton, who's now at Georgia Southern, did a good job at USC, was let go, 
has done a good job at Georgia Southern. Tyson Helton, his brother, who's the coach at Western Kentucky. Willie Fritz, Tulane. I would think, Eli, <laughs> they can get Willie Fritz. You, you go out and get Willie Fritz. Certainly. I, I, I would be surprised if Willie Fritz took the Indiana job, but I don't know. I don't know Willie Fritz. I don't know how you win at Indiana consistently. I know Tom Allen had a couple of good seasons, but now you're bringing in those Pac-12 teams to add to what you already have. It's a tough job, but other names that are on the list include Jamie Chadwell. You and I both like him an awful lot. Also on the list is Tom Herman. Florida Atlantic just coached his first year with the Owls. They also have some other interesting names, including former Wisconsin head coach Paul Christ, Pat Fitzgerald, who was run out of Chicago, the Northwestern coach, and Justin Fuente, the former Memphis and Virginia Tech head coach, who will be a guest of ours tomorrow at 9.30 during the AutoZone Liberty Bowl Inside College Football Hour. We'll talk to him. I love Justin. He shoots from the hip, so we'll ask him about that, but his name on the list as well. Uh, Sharon Moore, who was the interim head coach at Michigan when they played Ohio State last week for Jim Harbaugh, and then some others, former players, including Antoine Randall L., who played at Indiana. So a lot of names on that list, but uh, Ryan Silverfield's name on the list. Yeah, I don't. I, I have my doubts about what an actual candidate he is um, for for that job, but agents are awfully good at getting guys in these things to get them more money and extensions and things like that. Yeah, look, I, I think it's pretty simple. And we live in a day and age now of the transfer portal where I don't think it's that important that you have to have your coach have four years on his contract or more because you're telling those players they're not going anywhere. We know differently. Coaches leave at the drop of a hat and players now leave at the drop of a hat. So it's not that important. The important thing is, from a school standpoint, in my opinion, is first of all, where are you financially? Second of all is how much do you want to keep that coach? If you, and what are those coaches' options, in your opinion? If a coach doesn't have a lot of options, nobody's holding a gun to your head that you have to extend that coach or give them a raise, even with a good season. So there's that as far as candidates around the country at different schools. But if a school feels they're going to lose that coach, then it's a different ballgame. Then you got to add. you got to add money. you got to add years. I, I know there are... Uh... I'm sure there are a great number of fans around Memphis that would be willing to call Indiana and put in a good word for Ryan Silverfield. Yeah, well, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. Grass isn't always greener. I, You know, again, Ryan Silverfield, to me, has done a very solid job. They need to get to a championship game and probably need to get there next year. Mike Norvell comes around once in a blue moon. Right, Justin Fuente was a really good coach, turned it into the Virginia Tech coach. Coaching position. Mike Norvell was just, there's something different about that guy. And Memphis had a chance to, you know, have him for several years. And that's what it is. If a coach has that kind of pedigree, or, or not, not really pedigree, but chops, coaching chops, they're not here long. Unfortunately, it's a stepping stone job for the, the coaches that have that ability. And again, with Ryan Silverfield, Ryan Silverfield knows the game, he knows the game incredibly well. And I think he's a very solid head coach. They're limited on things that they can do, but I don't think people care. They don't want to hear excuses. And I understand, too. You're having a good year this year. You're not having a 
you know, unbelievable. I can't, I, I can't. They they were supposed to win five games and they won, but you got to get to the promised land. You got to get to the championship game. Now that takes Jimmy's and Joe's, and that takes a lot of money. Unfortunately, that's the way it is in this world of college football, where now the free agency period, if you will, will begin on December 4th. But we're already hearing news about the transfers. Yesterday was about the Carters, Tevin Carter, Davian Carter. Uh, uh, or two days ago, we talked about yesterday on the show. Zy Brockington, a defensive lineman, he announced that he will hit the transfer portal. However, really good news for Memphis, Rock Taylor announces he's returning and then I also saw a little cryptic message on social media from Kylan Pounders, the left tackle, that he would be returning as well. So that is huge news to get Rock Taylor back, who had a big breakout year this past season or this season. Yeah, if you're if you're, you're bringing back Seth Hennigan, which it looks like he will be back uh, to have his number one weapon um, in the uh, among the receivers back. Um, obviously, a good relationship there, and that that's uh, that's very nice after losing basically all of your receivers last year uh, to bring back the number one weapon this year on that receiving core would certainly be a, a nice thing to have for the Tigers in getting back. This side of the program is brought to you by East Memphis Ace Hardware, the corner of White Station and Quince is where you'll find them. That's where you'll find everything you need for all of those projects around the house. It's also where you're going to find the big green egg and all the accessories that go with that. You can find it all at East Memphis Ace Hardware. If you can't find what you're looking for, well, talk to the great staff over there because they will be very helpful. And if they don't have exactly what it is you're looking for, they certainly will be able to get it for you very, very quickly. They've got a great staff to help you. Great gift ideas all over the store over at East Memphis Ace Hardware. Get at the corner of White Station and Quince. If you missed it last night, Ole Miss, the Tigers' next opponent, all over NC State, 72-52. And they get the good news that Musa Cisse is available to play. We will talk Ole Miss in Memphis when we return, as we will be joined by our weekly guest, Andy Borman, Memphis Tigers assistant coach. You're tuned in to Sports 56 Mornings with Greg and Eli on Real Sports Talk, Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. 